And to do a little bit of review, we, we're talking this uh, through this season, through this time in our church, we're talking about the foundations of our church. What are the foundations of our church and do we have a good foundation so that we can build upon that foundation and see our church grow? I believe that the most important part of the foundation, the, the foundationiest part of that foundation is the gospel itself. What is the what is the message that we share as Christians? What is the message that we believe to make as Christians? What is the central message that God has for us, for humanity? We've talked about how you know, Romans uh, teaches us this thesis statement. So Josiah, if we go to that next slide, we're going to read uh, this uh, thesis statement of the book of Romans together um, as we have been each Sunday, um, because it's just a good reminder. It, reminder, it sets the stage for exactly what is going on in this book. So let's read this together. I'll read Romans chapter one, verses 16 through 17. One, two, three. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. That's, the, that's the, the statement of what the gospel is. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes with no restrictions. It's the power of God for salvation. We said that the gospel has a shape to it. Um, God, man, Christ response, if you remember that. God, man, Christ response. So far in Romans, we've seen the God part. That there is a God who rules over us. He's a ruling creator. And he's a gracious savior who seeks to show love and favor and forgiveness to his people. Yet he's also a righteous judge that can't just look over sin and sweep sin under the rug. And that brings us from, from thinking about who God is to who man is. Who is man? Well, we're made in his image. Every single one of us, regardless of what we believe, what we've done, who we are, male, female, doesn't matter. All of us are made in the image of God. Yet... We've all rebelled against that image. We've all chosen to say, you know, God, you would have me be like you in this way to love and forgive. But I don't want to because that wouldn't feel good to me. So I don't want to love. I don't want to forgive. We've all chosen to go away from God's design for us. And that brings us to, to today. We're made in God's image. We rebelled against God and we're hopeless without God. We are hopeless without God. This morning, we're going to talk about something that everybody hates. Have you noticed that, that, that there's some things that people will really hate and then other people will like that thing? But there's one thing in the universe, one thing in existence that nobody likes. You can never find a person that says, yeah, I like that. And that thing is a hypocrite. Have you ever noticed nobody likes a hypocrite? Nobody likes a hypocrite. The right and the left can agree. No one likes a hypocrite. It's a person who says one thing but does another. Our kids notice this in us, don't they? Dad, you said not to say that, but you just said it. They notice that hypocrisy in us, right? We don't have to teach them to dislike it. They notice it already. You said not to do that, but you're doing it. Politicians complain about the other side, right? The left will say the right says this, but does that. The left will say the right, the, the right, the left will say the right does this and does that. Says this and says that. Nobody likes a hypocrite and everybody knows it. But sometimes, we could say, hypocrisy smells bad, right? 
It's kind of like a bad smell. Nobody likes it. But some things smell worse than others, right? Sometimes there's a smell that stinks worse than other things. So what's the, what's the stinkiest hypocrite out there? What's, the, what's, the, what's the, the, the hypocrite that nobody likes the most? Well, the worst kind of hypocrite is a religious hypocrite. A religious hypocrite. A religious person who says one thing about their religion and says one thing about how humans should live and people should live, yet doesn't do it. So the one thing nobody likes is a hypocrite. The worst kind of hypocrite is a religious hypocrite. And you know who dislikes religious hypocrites the most? It's not the atheist. It's not the agnostic. It's God himself. God dislikes hypocrites more than any of us dislike a hypocrite. God, if you look at Jesus's life in particular, when he was here, he dined with sinners, ate with tax collectors who were stealing money. Uh, He dined with these sinners. Yet the ones he called broods of vipers and whitewashed tombs were the religious hypocrites of his day. God dislikes the religious hypocrite. And we're going to see this morning, this passage is going to tell us about a hypocrite. Tell us about hypocrisy. And we need to be faced with this passage this morning because most of us in here are probably thinking, yeah, I don't like hypocrites. But we're not acknowledging that that hypocrite may be us. When we read this passage about religious hypocrites and hypocrisy, we need to ask ourselves a question. Are we going to be looking through a window in this passage uh, through which we can look through this window and then understand the world out there and understand the, the status of a hypocrite? Or are we going to be looking into a mirror this morning that shows us that we are the hypocrite that this passage speaks of? The religious hypocrisy that we see is evidence of the hopelessness of sin. When we, when we see religious hypocrisy, it tells us about the hopelessness of sin and the hopelessness of humanity. But the good thing is the gospel has hope even for the hypocrite. The gospel has hope even for the hypocrite this morning. So let's read uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you've got that, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we'll see what this word has to say for us. Romans chapter 2, 1 through 11 says this. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Remember who he's speaking to here. He had just in chapter 1, if you remember last week, he had just said, hey, the wrath of God's revealed against all people because of all these types of sins. Okay, he had just like went through this big list of sins saying, hey, you're accountable to God for what you've just done. Now he's continuing on that thought. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, for the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. In this passage, I want you to see first the hypocrite's standard. The hypocrite's standard. These Jews who were uh, in this church, remember this church is comprised of Jewish people and Gentile people who are both saved by Christ and put into the same building, yet they still have some cultural differences, some, some baggage from the past as we all tend to have. And these Jews were judging these Gentiles for sins that they were also guilty of themselves. Can you imagine Jews and Gentiles sitting here, and Paul starts off saying, hey, the, right, the wrath of God is being revealed against all kinds of ungodliness. And he starts to mention all these things that God's law speaks against. Can you imagine the Jewish person sitting next to the Gentile person saying, yeah, that's right. Exactly. These guys need to learn what, what the law is. They didn't have the law. Now they need to obey it. You can, you can see the, the, the Jewish person saying, Amen. Amen to every single one of those things. But then Paul comes along and he says, and also you who judge everybody for these sins, you're actually doing the same sins. He flips the script on these religious Jews who had come from this this life of following laws and rules. And when they brought that into the church, they wanted others to follow follow those laws and rules as well. So you can hear them saying amen to all this sinfulness that's out there, out in the world. Um, but then Paul says, you who are judging those from the, out in the world, don't you realize that you do the same exact thing? Paul flips the script. There's a, a famous preacher named Paul Washer. He got famous for uh, a short clip that went around on, on Facebook. He's at a youth conference and he's talking to these youth about uh, all the troubles of youth today. All these youth, they, they're obsessed with social media and they... Um, they, they try to fashion their image after these um, people they see on social media and they commit these sins that, that, that they see out in the world and they don't care about God. They've neglected him. And he makes a comment. Uh, it, it's kind of a joking comment. He says they're just trying to look like Britney Spears and yada, yada, yada. It's not a sin if you look like Britney Spears, but he's making the point. You're trying to do all these sinful things. And the kids start laughing in the youth group. And he says he points to them. He says, I don't know why you're laughing. I'm talking about you. And then the room just goes silent. Okay, I think that's what probably happened when this letter was being written or being read aloud in that church for the first time. Saying all of this big laundry list of sins. This is wrong and that's wrong and this is how you've rebelled against God. And those Jews who are laughing and amening would be hit with this truth. And you who judge, you do the same things. That's what Paul's getting at. These Jews were judging Gentiles for the sins that they were guilty of. He says they were practicing the same things. They were practicing the same things. And also, the Jews were condemning themselves by judging others. They were condemning others, but in doing so, they condemned themselves. Paul says in this, by passing judgment, you condemn yourself. When you judge, you set the standard by which you're going to be judged. When you judge... You set the standard by which you're going to be judged. I think maybe we could think of it more specifically like this. When you judge, you've acknowledged that you understand God's standard. When you judge somebody for committing a sin or, or not living up to God's standard, you acknowledge you understand the rules. God's saying, you, you know the rules of the game. 
Because you can point out when somebody else doesn't follow them. So when you judge, you're admitting, I know the way I should live. And then when you don't live according to that, you're, you're condemning yourself. You're going against your own rules. This is illustrated to us in Jesus's teaching. Don't you remember Jesus's teachings in Matthew 7 when he talks about the, the most quoted verse in the whole Bible? You might think it's John 3, 16. No, it's actually Matthew 7, 1. Judge not lest you be judged, right? Everybody on the face of the planet Earth that's heard the name Christianity and maybe has interacted with the Bible knows that phrase. Judge not lest you be judged. That's the point that Jesus is making, right? When you judge, you create a standard by your, uh, that you're going to be judged by. Jesus said, judge not that you not be judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You're judged by the standard with which you judge someone else. So the point in Jesus saying that is not that you wouldn't make a judgment. We all make judgment. We have to make a judgment. Uh, all of you judge today whether to wear short sleeves or long sleeves. Uh, shorts or long pants based on the weather, right? You looked at the weather. You made a judgment. To judge something just means to look at things and make an assessment. On, on how to interact with it, right? We have to make judgments. I mean, we have to make judgments on where we live, what's, where we're going to work. Like, we make judgments. Jesus' point is not that we shouldn't judge. It's that we should not judge like a hypocrite. You remember what he says later on? He says, if you can see a, a, a speck of dust in your brother's eye and you want to remove it, you can't do it if you've got a piece of wood in your, in your eye, if, if you've got a, a plank in your eye. Jesus is being hyperbolic, but the point is, how can you, if you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your glasses, how can you have any right to remove a, a small piece of dust from your brother's eyes? He says, first, go take the plank out, then you can help your brother. Because when we think of this list of sins, Paul's not saying, hey, Jew, listen to all these bad, or Gentiles, listen to all these bad things. And now, Jews, don't judge him for it. Let him do it. Don't judge him for that. That's not Paul's point. Sin needs to be called out in this world. But if we're going to do it, we cannot live according to that same standard. Or we can't sin in that same way. Paul, his point in all of this, in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, is to make sure we're all in the same boat. He's driving that idea that we're all in the same boat. <clears throat> we all have sin that we have to deal with. So is it okay to judge? Yes, but Jesus's point and Paul's point is this. You should be very slow to judge because you're going to be liable to the same judgment. And it's likely that you are guilty of the same sin that you judge. So what are you judgmental of this morning? Um, what maybe of that list from last week of all those sins do you look at and say, amen, that's a sin that maybe you're guilty of as well. Paul's wanting to to expose the sin in our heart. What might you be judgmental of? Could it be that, guilty, that you're guilty of those same things? Remember, you can be guilty of those same sins or be, be guilty of that sin without being guilty of those sins. Remember, sin is all the same in seed form, but it's different in the fruit. In all of us, every sin is the same in seed form. So might you be guilty of some of those sins? You who judge people who overindulge in alcohol, do you overindulge in social media? You who judge others for lying to your boss at work, do you lie to your spouse at home? 
You who judge the same sex lust in others, do you have opposite sex lust in your heart? Do you judge people according to a standard that you can't stand up under? That's Paul's point. And if we do, we have to be very careful and think, am I the one that needs to be repentant in this? Am I the one that needs to be repentant in this? Of all these things, all these things that should be called out, but we have to be careful that we're not creating a standard that we can't live up to. That is the hypocrite's standard. But we also see the hypocrite's mistake. The hypocrite's mistake. As we continue on through this passage, we see that the Jews were assuming that their judgment of another group of people was making them right with God. They were assuming that they wouldn't be judged because of their religious status or their religious opinion or their religious words that were spoken. But just because you agree with God's judgment on something doesn't mean that you avoid his judgment of something else. Just because you judge someone else's sin doesn't mean your sin is excused. It's not like uh, when, when someone gets put in prison and uh, they commit some, some crime. Maybe they were uh, buying and selling drugs and the detectives come in and say, hey, we'll let you off. We'll give you a lesser penalty if you just rat out the guy that has the, has the big payload. God doesn't operate like that. He's not saying, hey, if you judge somebody else, I'm going to give you a lighter sentence because you're really good at judging other people. That's not how God operates. The Jews were kind of making that mistake. They thought, if I agree with God's judgment of somebody, that shows that I'm good, right? No. The Jews were assuming that they wouldn't be judged because of their religious status or their judgment of other people. And that was a mistake. And the Jews were interpreting God's patience with them as God's approval of them. I want to say that one more time just so you get that. The Jews were interpreting God's patience with them as God's approval of them. But God's patience, as this passage points out, is meant to bring you to repentance, to drive you to repentance. And the Jews were storing up wrath for themselves rather than avoiding it. Uh, That's what we see in those those verses. He says, do you pres-, in verse 4, he says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that God's kindness is meant, not knowing that God's kindness is made to le- meant to lead you to repentance? They thought, man, I'm not experiencing God's judgment now. Must mean I won't experience God's judgment later. They were ignoring those warning signs. They were kind of thinking, just because it's happening there doesn't mean it's, or just because it's happening there doesn't mean it's not going to happen here. These Jews were kind of like Oklahomans a little bit. Anybody uh, have part of the hailstorm the other day? Yeah, everybody was, right? So uh, we had a family group text and a family group chat and, and with, with Whitney's side of the family. And Grandma was talking about the hail that was hitting them, pummeling them. Uh, and she lives out on Morgan Hill, so south of town. Well, what did I do? I came out. Opened the door, and I looked out in the sky. It was barely windy here. There's no rain. There was nothing here. So what mistake might I have made? I don't see anything falling on me now. That means it's just falling on her. It's not falling on me. Well, praise God, I didn't do that. I came out here, got in my car, and moved it under the awning right here. I'm talking 60 seconds, maybe 120 seconds later, the torrential downpour just... The, the, the wrath of God pouring down in the form of ice chunks all over the place uh, because I, I, I just I moved out. I, t- I took the warning and I moved it. 
But a lot of us don't do that, right? When there's some kind of tornado warning that we hear or, or Doug Hetty comes on Facebook Live and says to you, hey, take shelter now, what do we do? We look outside, we think nothing's happening now, nothing's going to happen in the next few minutes, right? We, we're kind of like those Jews. We should not make that, that mistake of thinking, hey, nothing's going on right now. That means I'm good to go in the future. These Jews were not experiencing God's wrath in the moment, but they didn't realize, hey, this moment of, of peace right now is so that you'll realize you need to repent so you can avoid judgment in the future. That, that few minutes that I had from that text from Jane, uh, from Whitney's grandma, that, 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 that quietness, that gave me a chance to repent of my sins and move my car, right? So these Jews needed to be more like that. As we, as we hear God's word preached, we should not think, okay, that word being preached applies to them. So that means I must be good. Tim's not talking about my sin today, so I must be good. We have to be careful. We need to take heed lest we fall. When we hear God's teaching against sin, sin that's, that defames his character but destroys us, we have, to, we have to realize maybe we need to repent of this, not point it out in other people. So we've seen the hypocrite's standard and the hypocrite's mistake. Let's look at the hypocrite's fate. God says in verse 6, Paul says in verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. He will render to each one according to his works. So these guys were sitting there hearing all of these things about how God is, is, is judging these things. And these, these Jewish people, they were agreeing in judgment. They were saying, yeah, we agree that those things are bad. But Paul makes the point, God's not going to judge you based on what you say with your mouth, but what you do with your actions. He will render to each one according to his works. You're judged based on what we do. Talk is easy and words are cheap. Any of us can play a religious game, especially in word, for an extended period of time. It's not that hard. We see each other for a few hours every, 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 uh, every week. We can talk the religious game. We can say the religious things. But does our life match that? Paul said you're not judged on, on what you do or on, on the name that you have that says Christian. You're not judged even by the fact that your name might be written on the First Baptist Church's Sunday school role or something like that. God doesn't judge us by the category or the, or the title that we have, Jewish person, God's people. He's judging us by our actions, by what we do, and he'll judge us accordingly. Does this contradict what Paul says, though, in other places? Because that's... Maybe you're hearing that and you're like, wait a second, that doesn't sound exactly like saved by grace through faith, right? Because we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Paul's saying you're judged based on what you do when you work. So it might feel like those two things are contradictory, but think about what Paul's doing and who he's talking to. He's not explaining salvation by grace through faith, which is true. He's going to get to that here in a few chapters. But right now he's trying to jar these, these, these Roman Christians into realizing that you're not judged based on your title or who you are, what you say against other people, you are judged by what you do. So just because you agree with God in word, you need to also agree with him in, 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 in what you do. So God, we are judged based on what we do. And God does not show partiality, as it says in verse 11. There's no group of people that get a break. There's no group of people that get a break. Just because uh, you're from one part of the world or you have one certain ancestry doesn't mean you get a break. 
There's no, no group of people gets a break and no action of man is overlooked. God will weigh each and every single one of our actions. So as we hear that, that fate, the hypocrite's standard, the hypocrite's mistake, and the hypocrite's fate, is there any hope for any of us? Because I hope, maybe by this point, you can admit at least in some way you've been hypocritical at some point in your life. Maybe you've said this is the standard by which we should live and you have not lived up to it. All of us have been there. At one point in time, I'm there way too often myself, far too often. I, I, I am in this pulpit preaching against something I have done this week before or I'm going to do the, the next week. We all find ourselves in that position. And as we find ourselves in that position, is there hope? Is there hope? There is hope. My last point is this. We've seen the hypocrite standard, his mistake, his fate. But now we see his hope. There is hope. Hope, even for the hypocrite. Because really, what's the hypocrite doing? What is the hypocrite doing? They're putting their faith in religion rather than the creator. Again, that's the sin that's at the heart of all of it. They're putting their faith in something they can say and do rather than what they believe in their heart about God. And even God, in the midst of all that, can save that hypocrite In God's kindness, he has provided a warning for the hypocrite to be saved. In God's kindness, he provides a warning for the hypocrite to be saved. We don't see the answer in this passage yet. Um, Remember, Paul's making a long, long argument, and we cannot sit down and read that whole argument and talk about that whole argument in one sitting. But he does have a hope for us in the future. So in God's kindness, he provides a warning like this in this passage. We have to have Romans 1 and Romans 2 before we get to have Romans 3, which talks about Christ's sacrifice for us. Now his blood covers our sins. But if we don't have Romans 1 and 2 to point out what's going on in our heart, we're never going to want Romans 3. So as you hear this, these passages last week talking about this laundry list of sins that exemplify a rebellious heart. And as you hear today talking to you about a hypocrite, don't take it as, man, God just wants to beat us up spiritually. That's not. This is a warning. This is a call to you to say, is this going on in my heart? Because if you don't hear this warning, you won't hear the salvation that comes later. So in God's kindness, he provides a warning for the hypocrite. In God's wisdom, he has made a way for the hypocrite to be saved. Even the person who says one thing with their mouth and does different things with their actions and believes different things in their hearts, that person too can be saved. Even that that religious hypocrite that none of us like, even that religious hypocrite that thinks they're better than everybody, even that religious hypocrite who only sees the sins of other people and never sees their own, their own sins, even that person can be saved. Even that person can be saved. And in God's patience, he's given time for the hypocrite to be saved. Even this morning, as you hear these things, I want to challenge you to think of, in, my, in your life, as you hear that passage, are you one of those people who think that you're right with God Because of your judgment of other people. Are you right with God because of the way you judge somebody else? Well, if that's your standard, that's why you think you're right with God. Be be knocked off of, uh, of that position this morning to realize I need to repent of sin. It's not that I need to point out other people's sin. I need to repent of my own sin. Because eventually we do get 
Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And that's what I want to end with. I just want to read some good news to you at the end of a bad, kind of a bad news sermon. Let me read some good news to you. It says this. You think you have a righteousness? You think there's righteousness of the law? You can't get righteousness from the law. Verse 20, chapter 3, 21 says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction. He shows no partiality in his judgment, yet he also shows no partiality in his salvation. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many times have you heard that passage? But we don't read verse 24. That's the better part. 23 is for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the one who justifies through faith in Jesus. Hypocrite, this morning, you can be saved through Christ's sacrifice for you. If you're here this morning, you find, I have, I've been playing a religious game. I've never been truly saved. I've never have truly had Christ come into my life. And I've never repented of my sins. I've only just pointed out other people's sins. Maybe today is that day that you can receive salvation. Because there's no partiality. Even you, the thing that we all hate the most the thing that we dislike the most, even the religious hypocrite can be saved from their sins. Let's pray.